0: Brother Brown, would you come up and give us the word of God? Everybody give him a hand. Thank you, my brother. Is he going to pull that screen down?
1: All right. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter number 16, please. Luke chapter 16, as quick as you possibly can. I marvel at what God has done here in this place in a short amount of time. I marvel at this beautiful building the Lord has provided, and a great crowd this morning. You're growing, preacher, you're growing, and I'm sure you've had greater, probably had bigger crowd than this last Sunday, and uh, yeah, and so praise the Lord. It's wonderful, wonderful to see you here, and uh, my, just keep coming. I love it, I love it, I love it, a church alive without the jump and the jive. Say amen right there. All right, good. Rhonda and I are thrilled to be here. Rhonda and I, we are still on the road. And here we are at our age, just going full speed. I mean, full speed. I told somebody the other day, you know, we, we just closed a meeting in where Ohio and flew directly from there here. And we'll uh, preach in two churches here this week. And then we'll fly to Oklahoma. Uh, well, we'll fly home and we're we'll home one day. And then we we'll fly to Oklahoma. And I preach a meeting there, and then we fly directly from Oklahoma to Norfolk, Virginia, and I preach in Chesapeake, Virginia. And on and on and on, week after week after week. I told somebody it'll finally kill us, but it's a wonderful way to die. It really is. <laughs> and uh, uh, it really is. You know how it's going to end up for us, at our age especially. Uh, i tell you how it'll end up. Uh, you remember the, you, the cartoon characters you used to see, and the little cartoon character runs through three Stone walls just blows right through three stone walls. Turns and smiles at the camera, and this little crack comes right here. It just falls in a pile. That's the way it landed right there. And uh, but Rhonda and I go. By the way, we've had some more grandbabies born since we were here. At least two or three. Uh, We've got uh, we've got ten children, thirty-seven grandchildren, and uh, two greats. Or do we have three greats? we got three great-grandchildren, all three of them born since we were here the last time, and uh, all three of them. And um, my first wife and I, we had, my first wife passed away, and uh, after 39 years of marriage, we raised seven children. Rhonda's husband passed away after 35 years of marriage. He was a wonderful, godly, independent Baptist preacher. He died, and the Lord put us together, and we've been married now 10 years. But my first wife and I, we had... Thank you. <laughs> my first wife and I uh, had seven children. We, just, we, we went seven and a half years wanting children, couldn't have any. And it would even begun to think on adoption, but we made the mistake of having a Baptist preacher pray for us to have children. And <laughs> <coughs> we forgot to tell him how many and ended up with seven. <laughs> and, and this is an honest fact. After waiting seven and a half years for children, um, along came Joanna, 10, months, ten and a half months later, along came Sarah, 14 months later, along came Derek. She had three in diapers at one time after waiting seven and a half years. Did you know a woman is a funny thing? Did you know that? It really is. And uh, But once you're in the program, you are in the program. I'll tell you, you are. We we were almost like one couple who went to their pastor and said, Pastor, would you pray for us to have children? We've been married several years, and we, we just we wanted children, and the Lord has not blessed us with children. We don't know what is wrong. He said, uh, Yes, I'll pray for you. They said, Would you anoint us with oil and pray for us to have children? Well, he said, Sure, I'll be glad. To do that, so he, he was there in the church office, and he opened the desk of his uh, the drawer of his desk to reach in and get that little bottle of sweet oil he would keep. And <clears throat> when he reached to get it, it was gone. One of the children had been in the office playing with it and and took it away. So he thought, "My soul, I got to have some oil." So he called his secretary and he said, "Maud, I need some oil." She said, "Some what?" He said, "Some oil." She said, don't have any. He said, didn't ask you whether he had not." I need some oil. She said, well, wh- wh- what? he said, look, I don't care where you get it. Go, go to the kitchen and get cooking oil. Go to the furnace room and get motor oil. Uh, I don't care where you get some oil. Bring me some oil. Well, in a little bit, she come roaring in there uh, with a little can of three-in-one oil. And uh, I can tell you're already ahead of me. But anyway. And so he took a little of that oil and put on his finger and rubbed on the man's forehead right here. Then he took a little of that oil and put on his finger and rubbed on the lady's forehead. And then he knelt and prayed that they would have children. Ten and a half months later, she gave birth to guess what? Triplets! After being anointed with three and one oil. And uh, oh man, he, he was. The pastor was scared to go see her. He was afraid she'd be mad at him, you know, for anointing her with three and one oil. She had triplets, but he finally went to see her, and when he walked in the room, when he walked in the room, she looked over at him and bursted out, praising the Lord. I mean, tears of joy and hands in the air. Woo! just so happy. He said, well, sister, I'm so glad to know you're happy. After being anointed with three and one oil, you had uh, triplets. She said, oh, preacher, glory to God. I'm not, I'm not rejoicing because you anointed me with three and one oil and I had triplets. I'm just rejoicing you didn't anoint me with 10W40. That's all I'm <laughs> doing. Amen. And uh, it's wonderful to be here. I'm open. I'd love to have a lot of fun with you this morning. I could carry on for 30 minutes up here. We would have a party plus, but uh, I didn't come to have a party and we're not here just for fun, though it is fun to be in the house of God. Amen. Amen. And uh, so here we are. Luke chapter number 16. I'm going to read a portion of scripture that I'm sure if you've been in church very long, you're familiar with. But I want you to read it with me like you have never read it before, like you've never seen it before. And uh, so we'll read. Starting with Luke chapter 16, verse number 19. Everybody stand up, stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. Luke 16, verse number 19. And there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sword. Now so far we've got two men. We've got one man who's so rich he don't need anything. He is loaded. I mean he's got money, he's got wealth, he's got A beautiful home, he's got all the food he can eat, he's got all the friends that he wants because he's got money. And there's another man that has nothing. He's a beggar laid at his gate and desiring to eat the crumbs that falls from the rich man's table. He didn't even have a friend. If he did, the friend would have been there. Uh, The dogs came and licked his sores. He didn't have medical help. He didn't have any type of anybody to help him with with his sicknesses. And uh, so here are the two men. Notice verse number 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Stop right there. Here's a man that's got everything and he died and went to hell. Here's another man that had nothing and he died and went to heaven. The bottom line is this. At the worst is still the best to be a Christian. At the worst It's still the best to be a Christian. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now I want you to notice verse 23 And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Some years ago, I had the privilege to tour out. Alcatraz, the rock, Uh, that uh, monumental notorious prison uh, built on an island which is basically a rock. Out in the San Francisco Bay, uh, the, the most notorious of the notorious were imprisoned there. Machine Gun Kelly was there. Old Scarface himself, Al Capone, was there. The Birdman, Robert Stroud, from Leavenworth, was there, who, by the way, they say was the most dangerous man in the prison. Uh, Creepy Carpus was there. The Anglin brothers were there. And we could go on and on talking about the notorious prisoners uh, that were in their place. Several were murdered there. And there were all kinds of attacks attempted jail breaks there. As far as we know to this day, there was never a successful escape from Alcatraz. Some made it to the water. They did ingenious things, unbelievable things. Some made boats out of raincoats. Uh, I walked through Alcatraz and I saw the actual um, uh, dummy that was made out of paper that they gave him for napkins when they ate. Dummy that was made laying in a bed looked like a human being. And, it, and these, this prisoner took his own hair and made hair for the dummy. And so that when he put it out there, when the guard would come by the night he planned to escape, he would see that man in there, what he thought was a man, and he would be able to be gone. And, and he dug a hole in the wall this big with spoons that he ate with and escaped and went out through the, the center of the wall, unthinkable, but as far as we know, he never got to land safely. There was no known uh, escapes from Alcatraz. And uh, uh, But anyway, uh, of all the horrors we could talk about, about that place, of all the horrors we could talk about, I mean, we could talk about the hole. The hole was that little cubicle they put them in when they misbehaved, and it was dark. And one man said, "What?" and you go crazy in there. I mean, you shut up, you're standing like this. We're talking about just this wide. And one man said, the only way I kept my sanity was I pulled a button off my shirt uh, and my prison outfit. I pulled a button off and dropped it on the floor. And then I'd get down and feel for it to try to find it. And I did that over and over and over again just so I could keep my sanity. Uh, That's not the worst thing. The worst thing wasn't the food. The food was good. They said it was amazing. The food was good. The worst thing thing was not the, the threat of death from other prisoners. That wasn't the worst thing. Do you know what they said the worst thing was? They all agreed. The worst thing was this. They said on quiet Friday and Saturday nights when it got still and quiet... They said, you could look across the bay and there was the shoreline and I ate fish on that shoreline and you can see the shoreline and he said, you can barely see young couples and little children scampering along the shoreline and you can hear the music from the city. You can even barely see these trolley cars as they went up the steep inclines San Francisco is a very hilly city, especially as it comes down there to the San Francisco Bay. And they said this, they said the worst part of it all was everything that we ever wanted in life, everything that we ever wanted was so close and yet was so far away. And everything that we ever wanted, we would live and die on this rock. And never have it. It was in sight. We could smell it. We could hear it. We could smell the fish as they were cooking. We could hear it. We could see it. But we couldn't have it. And we would live and die and never have it. And did you stop and think here? And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And I want you to notice verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died, was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man also uh, died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes. And verse 24 says, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented." In this flame. Verse 23 said, He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham. Where was Abraham? He was in heaven. And where was Lazarus? He was there with him. And here's a man in hell looking across to people in heaven. Now you stop and think about that. He could see the glories of heaven. He could see this golden city. He could see the streets of gold and the walls of Jasper and the gates of peril. And everything that he ever wanted in life was so close, and yet he would burn in hell forever, and he would never have it. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, verse 24. And send Lazarus to him, he dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. He had a tongue. He lifted up his eyes. He had eyes. He had a body. Hell is no joke. Hell is no joke. As soon as he died, he lifted up his eyes in hell. You say, well, his body was in the grave. But there's another body, another body prepared that the soul slips into. And that body is in hell tonight, uh, this morning. That same man is in hell this morning. And millions of others who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I could read further, but let's stop right there. Ask God. To help us, as I you know, look, folks, folks. I've only preached here a couple of times before, a couple of meetings, that is. And did you know how many times have I been here? Once or twice, twice. But I'm telling you, I've been preaching 58 years. I've got hundreds of sermons. I've got more sermons I can preach. You got time to listen to? Trust me, you do. But I'll tell you this right now: God, and I've got more entertaining sermons than this one, and my wife knows I have. But I'll tell you this right now, God has laid on my heart to bring this message and I want you to be with me now as we preach it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll bless us now as we preach the message. Oh dear Lord God, do for us what needs to be done and we'll thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated please. This scripture talks about a literal place called hell. Over 200 times in the Bible, the Lord Jesus warns us about hell. For instance, he said in Psalms... uh, 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 verse 9 and 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. In Matthew 5, 26, it speaks of the danger of hell fire. And in Mark nine forty six, everlasting fire. And in Revelation 20, verse number 10, fire and brimstone. And in Jude 7, the vengeance of eternal fire. We're talking about a real place called hell with real fire in it, where real people with real bodies go and burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and there's no hope and there's no way out and there's no end to it and there's no intermediate state and there's nobody on earth that can pray them out of that place or get them out or give any amount of sacrifice. It is appointed unto a man once to die and after this the judgment. And so uh, we're talking about a literal place called him. Some years ago, some years ago, uh, we have a daughter in Mexico and hour outside of Mexico City And she's married to a wonderful man. And they've been missionaries there for how many years, Rhonda? Which is 28 years. They've been missionaries in Tula, Mexico. And 20 minutes from their house, not long ago really, there was a gas line explosion. What happened was... Uh, the the gas line had erupted, and it was throwing gas in the air. And when people heard about it, they come rushing to the scene, uh, hundreds of them, with uh, five-gallon containers, and they ran up to try to collect this gas out of the ditch. It was running out in the ditch. It was also spraying into the air. And so they rushed to the scene to get some of this free gas. And uh, so anyway, um, when they got there, there was an explosion. Are you ready? Let's turn this on, and if we can get some lights turned off here, you may not be able to see this clearly, and you're not close enough to see it real good, but I want you to notice here, uh, uh, yeah, I want you to notice here, some of them burnt to death immediately right on the scene, and others ran until they just dropped. Those are, those are, are, those are bodies burning, burning in the fire. And uh, uh, when you think of the... And by the way, uh, just pause it right there, if you would. Just pause it right there. Uh, I had a copy of this, and I'd forgotten, left it in the room. And your sound man is one of the best in the country. If not, he could have never found this. He could have never found... But he found it online, and and he's showing it to us here. Uh, In the beginning of this, uh, it showed the gas spewing in the air. See if you got a frame on that back there real fast. If you don't, it's all right. It it shows... um, the the gas spewing from the line before it exploded. Um, I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, we we had seen it earlier here. You had it earlier uh, there when we were looking. It's it's before that. It's before that. Um, But anyway, uh, the the gas line erupted, it was blowing gas in the air, and the people were gathering it, and 18 military men, just keep looking, you might find it, I'll be preaching while you look, 18 military men were standing there, warning them, don't come here, this thing could explode, this thing could blow. And they were even saying among themselves, you know this thing's going to blow up. And yet hundreds of them were right there in the gas. It was pouring gas on them. It was spewing gas on their bodies. But they just kept getting it. They said that a cell phone could have set it off. That's how much gas was in the, in the air. They, and there was vehicles running nearby. You know, uh, uh, fire combustion engines running nearby. And the military men trying to warn them and stop them, don't do it, you're in danger. But they kept on and kept We're talking about women. We're talking about children. We're talking about men. We're talking about teenagers. We're talking about older people. There were all kinds of people. And uh, yet they kept on and kept on and kept on. Um, and uh, uh, they brought comfort. They found comfort in the fact everybody was doing it. You've heard that also? Well, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is going to hell too, but I don't want to go to hell just because everybody else is going to hell. Amen. Amen. You say, well, good night. Uh, uh, Well, if I get to hell, I'll have a whole lot of company. They had a whole lot of company in that film too, didn't they? There was a whole lot of people screaming, a whole lot of people burning, a whole lot of people yelling, and yet it was no comfort to them, friend. It was no comfort. Nobody hollered at somebody burning to death and said, well, at least there's two of us here. <laughs> no, nobody did that. The risk they took over nothing. Two gallons of gas. And the average one of them had their gallons half, uh, cans half full. The price they paid, the risk they took over hell. And you stop and think about people maybe in this room that are lost and the risk you're taking to walk out of this room lost. When you could get saved this morning, and your heart could stop beating three minutes after you walk out that door, or you could go down the street and some idiot could run over you in a car and kill you, and the risk that you're—look, t- some years ago, some years ago in Chicago, one of these cameras—you know—they got cameras everywhere, picks up everywhere, uh, picked up a guy that was crossing four lanes of a busy street, four lanes of highway, pretty pretty fast traffic. And as he was coming across the lanes, he got to the median. But just as he got to the median, his hat blew off. He went back into the lane to get his hat, and a car hit him and killed him. Showed it on, on the screen. And the commentator said this. He said, it's amazing how people will give up everything chasing nothing. It's amazing how people will give up everything, chasing nothing. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. It's amazing how people will give up eternity in heaven and inherit themselves an eternity in hell, trying to chase a little pleasure around in this world. This and this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And the angels beckon me from heaven's golden shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Now listen, uh, is there a hail? Uh, I had a preacher friend some years ago, and a uh, great preacher. And he said, a young preacher boy came to him, and he said, uh, uh, Pastor, he said, I'm, I'm going to graduate from Bible college soon. And um, I was just wondering, I need some advice. What kind of a preacher do you think I ought to be? Uh, I mean, should I be a loud preacher or a soft preacher? And this pastor said, I have a question for you. Is there a hell? Well, he said, yes, I know there's a hell. I I believe what the Bible says about that." But I'm wondering, should I be a preacher that is fervent or should I be a preacher that's just quieter? And this pastor said, well, let me ask you a question. Is there a hell? He said, oh, yeah, I know that. I've got that settled. But I just want to know about my style. He said, should I point fingers and should I warn, and should I yell and holler or should I just be passive about? He, and this pastor said, is there a hell, son? Is there a hell? Is there a hell? If there's a hell, what kind of a preacher do you think I ought to be? What kind of a preacher do you think I ought to be? Uh, Mark 9:43 tells us what kind of a preacher Jesus was. Jesus said this, If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life main than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. Think of that. The fire that never shall be quenched. He said, If your foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. He said it again. And notice here, uh, it says, Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. At verse 47, And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Now, two or three things about this. Number one, The the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. That word worm, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, great Bible commentators, they say that word worm is the Greek word skolex, which means a worm that preys on dead dead or decaying flesh. It's a literal worm. In hell where the worm never dies. Worms eating on bodies. When well, you read in the book of Isaiah, speaking of hell, it says the worms cover thee and the worms are under thee. Folks, we're talking a horrid, horrid concept. Uh, you stop and think, uh, what kind of a preacher should I be? I preached this in another state, actually it was in John Shook's church in North Carolina. It's running several hundred and uh, they put it on YouTube, and it wasn't no time they took it down. And YouTube took it down, and they gave the reason. It's too graphic. Wow. Now, you stop and think about what they see on uh, yeah. Internet. Yeah. You stop and think about what people are looking at on television. And my sermon's too graphic. Amen. Now, you're stopping things. No, it wasn't too graphic. It was too convicting. It was too pointing. It was too much truth in it. It was too much warning in it. It was too much saying, stop, stop, don't go to hell. It was too much of that. That's what got them. They didn't want this world to see that, and there'll be blood on their hands too, friend, uh, for taking it down. What kind of a preacher do you think that I ought to be? But anyway, this pastor said uh, some years later, he was in a preacher's meeting, and that same young man got up to preach. He hadn't seen him in a long time. And when he stood to preach, he said, I'd like to bring you a message this morning entitled, Is There a Hell?' Is there a hell?" He got the message. He got the message. Jonathan Edwards, great preacher of generations ago, preached that great and famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he preached with such passion. He preached with such fervency. He preached with such sincerity that people would yell out during the sermon, My God, Mr. Edwards, stop, stop, quit preaching before I die and go to hell. I mean, he believed that there was a hell. John the Baptist, over and over, the voice of one crying in the wilderness in Matthew 3, 7, flee the wrath to come. Run from hell, run. He also said that in Luke 3, 7. Percy Ray, the great preacher in Myrtle, Mississippi, uh, he had a sermon called The Red Light of Hell. And in that sermon, he would take a red light and he would uh, take it, there we go, he would take the red light and he'd swing the light. My battery is about gone. He'd swing the light and he'd say, stop, don't go to hell, stop, stop, don't go to hell. What kind of a preacher do you expect us to be? If there's really a hell, let me ask you a question. If you had walked up there and seen those people collecting that gas, and if you could have fast forwarded life to look at what you just saw on that screen, what would you do? Would you stand there and say, You boys ought not be doing this? Amen. Would you say, Well, it ain't none of my business. If you want to kill yourself, go ahead. No, no. If you could look and see what you just saw on that screen and knew, that those people would suffer that and burn to death there, you'd be standing, stop, stop, don't go up there. Stop, don't go up. Listen, you're going to burn to death. Stop. That's what you do. What kind of a preacher do you expect me to be? What kind of a preacher? What, what, what kind of a person do you expect me to be? Um, I had a preacher friend years ago. I heard him tell this story. It'll stay with me for my life. He said, I closed a meeting and was coming back in New Orleans, Louisiana, and said I was crossing over the big bridge over the Mississippi River, dropping right into New Orleans. And he said, as I was crossing the big bridge, going in, it was late at night. I'd preached and it was quite a distance to where I'd preached the meeting. It was a long drive back home, and it had gotten late, like eleven thirty, midnight. And he said it was raining. It was an ugly night, dismal night. He said it's the kind of night you couldn't keep the the windshield clear, and he said, I was driving along and crossing the bridge. It was about a 55-mile-an-hour uh, speed limit there. And he said, as I was crossing the bridge, all of a sudden, he said, I'm trying to make sure that I can see enough just to drive. And he said, all of a sudden, I saw something. And when I saw it, I thought I was hallucinating. You know, sometimes you get tired at night, you can imagine things. And he said, I thought that I saw a man on the bridge. And I thought this man was doing this, trying to stop me. And he said, as I got a little closer, I realized I am not hallucinating. There's really a man on this bridge. And he said, as I got closer and closer, it, it, he looked like a wild man. His hair was all down in his face. His eyes was wild looking. And his mouth was hanging open this far, and he was screaming, Stop! Stop! He said, first thing that hit my mind was, there's a mental institution just across the river over in New Orleans. And one of those inmates has escaped and has got out and come up here on this bridge. And what am I going to do? Now, my preacher friend was a big man. He was six foot three or four, weighed 280 pounds. He was a good sized fella. And, and this fella on the bridge was a smaller man. And he knew he could handle him, but who wants to get out and handle a case like that on a bridge that time of night? He said, I, I, so I thought, what I'll do is I'll shoot by him. I'll just, I'll just get around him. But he said, every time I'd cut from lane to lane, he's in front of me. He said, I'm getting slower and slower, and he's jumping. Stop! Stop! He said, I never saw such a wild, crazy-looking guy in my life. He said, finally, I slammed on brakes, d- jumped out of the car, ran up and grabbed him, and said, Fellow, what's wrong with you? He said, mister, the bridge is out right, 50 feet right out here. The bridge is out, and a Greyhound bus just went over in the, in the water, and I've climbed up here to try to stop traffic. And it was true. And it was true. So he said the rest of the night, there was two of us wild men on the bridge. Stop! 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 Will you stop? I'll tell you what. If you and I could catch a glimpse of hell itself, we'd all be wild men and wild women. We'd be out here going up and down the streets warning people and telling people about a literal burning hell. That's what I'm saying. Listen, what kind of a preacher do you expect me to get? Number two, what kind of a church ought this be? What kind of a church? are That's why the preacher preaches like he does. That's why your pastor warns like he does. That's why he tries to motivate you to go out visiting and telling other people about the Lord. Uh, what kind of a church? Jesus said in Mark 16, Matthew 16, 18, Upon this rock I will build my church. God's in the church building business. He wants people to be saved. He wants you to get people in and get them saved and get them saved and then get them in. That's what he wants. And uh, what kind of a missions program should you have? What kind of a, uh, you run a van to try to bring people in. Uh, what, what kind of a church do you think, you, uh, I was preaching for Kevin Wynn in Mexico City. He went there and started a church years ago. Kevin Wynn was a hippie from uh, California uh, and got saved and went to Mexico and started a church and I was with him, I've been with him several times but the last time Rod and I was with him, that Sunday, he had 18,000 in church that Sunday. 18,000. It's the largest independent Baptist church in the world now. 18,000. He had 1,500 on visitation the week before. 1,500 people out knocking on doors. He baptized 800 the day we were there. Uh, and that was in several baptistries and several buildings and the youth department and this department that department. And the nursery, ladies, you would, you'll have to talk to my wife about the nursery. Um, the one nursery they had, how many did they have in it, Rhonda? It, uh, up to six months, they had 238. Wow. 238. And, and you'll have to talk to my wife about it. The pastor's wife was in charge of the nursery program. And that was just one program. And they said, well, we're down this uh, today. Because so many of the workers were out in other places. They had their babies with them. So, but uh, 200, just just up through six months. And we're talking about a church. Listen, he had a burden. He's got a burden to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. What kind of a church should you be? You better thank God you're in a church that believes on trying to reach people. You better thank God that you're in a church. Let me ask you this. What kind of a Christian should you be? Matthew five sixteen. Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify uh, uh, see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, <clears throat> some years ago, before the days of electricity, they had, they had trains. And at the train crossings, at night especially, major train crossings, the train companies, the rail uh, companies, were required to have a crossman. And this crossman would stand at the crossing and whenever the train would come, he was required to have a lantern. And he was required to stop the traffic by swinging the lantern and tell him to wait because the train was coming. And he would hold him there until the train passed. One night, a family was hit on a track at a crossing. And some people were killed. And the case went to court. And in court, here's what the family, those that were left of the family claimed, or the living relatives that were not in the car when they were killed. Here's what they said. They said, you did not have a man there to warn the people. In court, they proved they did have a man there to warn the people. They said, well, if he was at the crossing, he didn't have a lantern. In court, they proved he did have a lantern. They said, well, if he had a lantern, it wasn't lit. And in court, they proved there was a man at the crossing. He did have a lantern. He was on the job. And the lantern was lit. And he was swinging the lantern. But they discovered the problem. Even though the man was at the crossing, and he did have a lantern, and the lantern was lit, and he was swinging the lantern to warn the people... The globe was so smutty. If you're old enough to know anything about kerosene lanterns, you got to keep the globe clean. If you don't, soon you won't be able to see much light at all. And the globe was so smutty that that car, those people could not see the light. And because they couldn't see the light, they just rushed right by. They didn't see the man, they didn't see the lantern, they didn't see the light. Though so all three was there. They didn't see it. Couldn't see it. Nobody else could have seen it. And they ran through and that train hit them and killed some good people. Now wait a minute. Did you know that train company had to pay off? I forget how many thousands and thousands of dollars back when money was money that that train uh, company had to pay. And here's what the court said. The final verdict of the court was this. The train company is responsible not only to have a a crossman there and not only that he have a lantern there and not only that the lantern be lit but they're responsible to see that the light is visible. That they can see the light. If they could have seen the light it would have been their fault. But since they couldn't see the light they were not guilty and the train company paid off. Friend, let me tell you if you and I are born again we've got the light inside. We've got Jesus inside of our hearts. Amen. That's why the preacher was shouting and praising the Lord this morning and some of you were too. You've got the light inside. I've got the light inside. And friend, listen to me. Because we've got the light inside, we have the responsibility to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And so uh, is, your, is your lamp, uh, 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 polished, not, it's not just do you have the light, of course you're saved you're going to heaven, you trusted Jesus, you have eternal life you've got the promise in the Bible, you'll walk on the streets of gold, but can people see that light, can they see your testimony, can they know what kind of a Christian should you be stop and think about it, what kind of a Christian should you be uh, I was in O'Hara Field, catching a flight my flight had been cancelled oh it's terrible You get delayed flights. The most feared words to anybody that flies much are these two words, slight delay. (laughs) If they ever say slight delay, you can hang it up, boys, especially if you're in O'Hara Field. You might get out of Dallas-Fort Worth. You might get out of Atlanta. You might get out of uh, Detroit, but don't try it in O'Hara Field. Oh, O'Hara Field's the worst place. But anyway, uh, I'm I'm standing in a line about as long as from here to that back door, and the flights have been canceled. Uh, weather-related problems, and people were frustrated. There were people trying to get to funerals they were going to miss of relatives. There were people trying to get to weddings of relatives they were going to miss. Uh, there were people with all kinds of bu- business appointments that they were trying to get to, and uh, and they were aggravated. They were frustrated. They were angry. Well, what look and and. and they said, well, why, why can't they? Look out there. It's not raining that much. Why can't? And boy, they were upset. Well, anyway, so I'm standing in this line. And I'm, I'm looking at the little girl behind the counter. It looked like she's 25, 30 years old, a little Hispanic girl. She's standing there, and she's trying to reroute everybody and reschedule people for later that night or the next day. And they are unloading on her. I mean, they're telling her, well, we want to know why they can't fly. And look here, I've got a wedding to get to. I mean, my daughter's getting married. Do you all understand? My daughter's getting married. Yes, sir, I understand. But, uh, you know, I I can't. And uh, they were just letting her have it. And I was watching that. I was in a mess, too. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I finally got to my turn. And when I walked up to the desk, I said, young lady, you're kind of having a hard day, aren't you? She said, yes, sir, I am. I said, uh, people are pretty frustrated. She said, yeah, they get upset. And they, they've got important places to go and they can't get there. And you can understand. They get upset. I said, yeah, I can understand that. But what I can't understand is why they blame you for it. If they don't, if they've got a complaint against the airline, why don't they contact corporate? Why don't they go up the line? Why don't they, they there's, there's people they can call. You don't make planes fly, and you don't stop them from flying. You didn't mess up their day. All you're doing is standing here hired to take their cussing and fussing. That's all you're doing. And uh, they don't understand, and, and she's just staring at me. I said, they don't understand that you're a human being like other people, that you've got feelings too. They see you as a faceless entity. They don't even see you as a human being. They see you as some object. And they're dumping out their frustrations on you. And they have no right to do that. You're a human being that's got feelings like other people. She's just staring at me, listening to all this. shit. And when I got done, she dropped her head. She said, Mr., I wish there was more people in this world like you. I wish there was more people in this world like you. Everywhere you go, People ought to say, I wish there was more people in this world like you. I wish there was more people in this world like you. A Christian ought to have a good testimony everywhere they go, everywhere. My good pastor Bobby Robertson was up in years and he and his wife were eating in Staley Steakhouse in Winston-Salem, a pretty nice upscale steakhouse owned by Mr. Staley who was a Christian man. And he hired mostly Christian young ladies to be waitresses at the table. Well, Brother Bobby was sitting there with his wife and another preacher and his wife and they had ordered their food and they were sitting there talking. Brother Bobby was dressed in a suit about like I've got on now. He always did. Always wore a, a nice suit. Never a sports coat. Always wore a suit. And the little uh, junior or senior girl in high school had taken the order, and she brought the food back. And when she did, just she, t- she must have stumbled or something, and she slammed that plate down on the table, and it dumped gravy and peas all over <laughs> Brother Bobby's suit. I mean, it just splattered right up all over his suit. He jumped up. She was horrified. You can imagine a teenage girl working in a nice steakhouse. And he, he grabbed his hand towel and he began to wipe it off. She was horrified. I mean, she turned pale. It's like she was going to faint. And uh, hadn't been working that long. And, uh, and he, he looked up and saw her and he said, young lady, now you stop. This is going to clean off. This is going to be OK. You didn't mean to do that. This is going to be all right. And you just relax. Young lady, if this is the worst thing that happens to you today, you're going to have a good day. Did you know that? Just a real good day. If it's the worst thing happens. And he wiped it off, and she was apologies plus. He said, it's okay. And he said something to her kind of like this. Let's make a deal. If you don't tell, I won't tell. Okay? <laughs> and, and, and she she turned and went and got him some more food and brought it back and left. Well, in a little bit, Mr. Staley, who knew my pastor, Brother Bobby, came out. I can hardly tell this without crying. He came out and he said, Pastor Robertson, there's a story you need to hear. He said, we hired this girl, but she wasn't a Christian. She's a good girl, but she wasn't a Christian. And so we talked to her about the Lord, but she wouldn't get saved. He said, matter of fact, the other girls talked to her about the Lord, and she wouldn't get saved. He said, everybody witnessed to her. said, she wasn't rude, she just was cold. She just turned off, I don't have anything to do with it. And he said, when well, you treated that girl like you did a while ago, he said, that girl came walking back in here where all the cooks were in the kitchen and stood and said, well, I finally met a Christian. I finally met a Christian. Everywhere you go, people ought to say, well, I finally met a Christian. I finally met a Christian. I met somebody that didn't just say they were a Christian. They acted like they were a Christian. They talked like they were a Christian. They controlled their temper and temperament like they were a Christian. They had the expression of a Christian. They had the love of a Christian. They had the help of a Christian. Let me tell you, if there is a hell, if people are going to hell, then not only uh, uh, what kind of a preacher should I be, but what kind of a Christian should I be? Number or four, number three or four, whatever it is, don't matter. Uh, let me just say this: If there is a hell, what kind of a witness should I be? What kind of a witness should I be? Mark sixteen sixteen: He that believeth not is damned. Everybody that doesn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is damned to go to hell and burn forever and ever and ever. I had Doctor Curtis Hudson preach for me several times before we died the greatest preacher in the world. He said, have you ever had Carl Hatch here? I said, no, I never have. He said, well, you ought to have him. I said, why? He said, well, you just have him, you'll find out. Well, I'd never met him. And next time I had Dr. Hudson, have you had Carl Hatch yet? I said, no, I never have. He said, well, you ought to have him. I said, well, what's he like? He said, he's like nobody you ever met before. I said, well, uh, can you give me an example? He said, he's just like every Christian ought to be. He's the only normal Christian you ever met in your life. I said, "In what sense?" He said, well, I, "I think you just have him. You just..." Him. I said, "Well, look, I'm in a small town here. Uh, will will he hurt hurt me and things?" He, "No, he's not gonna hurt you. Just just have him." Well, I finally booked him, and he was an older man. He'd been an old drunk, and found him out in the snowbank, he was about dead, and he got saved, and uh, and was a preacher, an evangelist, talked kind of rough like this. And so I'm standing at the end of the jetway when he came out the jetway and I said, you're Brother Carl Hatch. He said, Brother Brown, I'm glad to be with you. I said, Brother Hatch, nice to meet you. He said, are you parked in the parking lot? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, it'll save us some time. If you want to go get the car, I can get my own luggage. I'll meet you outside. I said, okay. Well, I went out in the parking lot and, you know, our our airport, you got to pay to get out of the parking lot. Then you got to drive around the county to get back, you know, if you've been to airports, you know. And uh, I had to go way out on the main road. In time, I got paid, found the car, drove out, got paid, got back on the main road, drove all the way around and came back. By the time I got back to pick him up, he not only had his luggage, but he come rolling out from that airport underneath that shelter there. And he had a red cap under his right arm, the guy that helps you with your luggage, you know. And he said, tell Brother Brown what just happened. He said, I just got saved. I just got saved. He'd won a man to the Lord before I could get the car and get back to the airport. And did you know I witnessed that man several times after that just to see if he really was saved and every time he said, yeah, I'm saved. Brother Hatch told me how to get saved. He told me and I, I am saved. I've never said, Listen, I, we were on our way to the church, but we had to go through Iowa City. I'm, I'm 60 miles from the airport and I said, Brother Hatch, I, I said, look, I, I don't want to impose on you, but I'm 35 miles from Mercy Hospital and I said, if you could let me stop just 10 minutes to run in and have prayer with one of my members. That'll save me a half a day tomorrow. Oh yeah, I got plenty of time. Go ahead. I'll go with you. I said, no, you don't have to go with me. You just wait in the car if you have something to read and I'll just run in and see this. No, he said, I'll go with you. I said, alright. He got out of that car and there was a guy walking to his car and he said, hey, hey you down there, come here, I got something for you. He stopped everybody in the country. He went in, he went in the hospital. And uh, there was a man and his wife sitting there in the solarium waiting area. And he just, come, as he walked in the front door, he just walked straight up to him and said, How are you folks today? They said, Fine. He said, uh, You got loved ones here in the hospital? I said, Yeah, my daddy. He's back here. He's got double pneumonia. They're not expecting him to leave. He's back here in intensive care. He said, You love your daddy, don't you? He said, Yes, I do. I love my dad. He said, uh, I'm Brother Hatch. I go around praying for people. Would it be okay if I prayed for your daddy? Oh, that would be wonderful. He's, you could tell the man was impressed. That would be wonderful. And Carl Hatch knelt on his knees. You never heard a man preach, uh, uh, pray with more compassion? Dear God, here's a man and his daddy loves back here and he thinks he's going to die. And dear God, he loves his daddy and he wants his daddy to be saved. Oh, God spare his life. And you could tell Carl Hatch really cared about this stranger and who his daddy was. And when he got done praying, he got up. He said, let me ask you a question. Do you know for sure if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? Oh, yes. Uh, We're members of the Solon Methodist Church right up here three miles out of town. He said, well, I'm a member of a Baptist church, but that's not going to take me to heaven. And your Methodist church is not going to take you to heaven either. And the only way to go to heaven is know Jesus. Let me show you how. And he stood right there and won both those people to the Lord. Now I hadn't even got him hardly out of the shadow of the airport, and he's won three people to God. And I'm telling you, that was just the beginning. I have never seen anything like him in my life. Uh, he, he he was in a he was in a mall, uh, passing out tracks and talking to people about the Lord. And the and the the, the mall security came to him and says, "You can't do that here. This." this and so they kicked him out. So he walked across big parking lot. He saw some more stores over yonder. And he walked across the big parking lot. And he got to this busy four lanes each way, you know. And a big stoplight and all this row of stoplights. So he got across the first two lanes. Well, th- there was a turn lane right behind him where people would turn this way. And the light turned red while he was waiting to get across. And all of a sudden, this turn lane filled up. And he was at the first of it. So he just turned around and pecked on the glass of this guy sitting there. The fellow rolled the window down. He said, tell me something. Do you know for sure if you died right now you'd go to heaven? God guy said, no. He said, let me show you how. And he's winning this man to the Lord. Well, the light turned green. So the guy behind him with people blowing the horn, bang, bang. he said, would you wait right here just a moment? He goes back, pecks on the next glass. He said, this man right up here is getting saved. He's he's going to hell if he don't get saved. And he's getting saved and I'll get to you in just a moment if you'll just wait. And he went every car back. He came back to the first car and he showed, I mean the light turned green and red and green and red and he showed him how to be saved and he got saved. Next car pulled off, next pulled up. He stood right there in the street and won 17 people to Jesus Christ. Just car out after car, after car. Let me tell you something. He was in the Washington Cathedral. Big, monstrous thing in Washington, D.C. People go there just to study the ornateness of it. And there was a Catholic priest at the register there. And uh, Carl signed to go in and see this beautiful church. And Carl said, hey, You're a preacher here. Well, I'm one of the speakers here, and I speak every third Sunday here. He said, well, let me ask you a question. He was a Catholic priest. He said, has anybody ever told you how you can go to heaven with no detours or layovers anywhere? And the guy said, no, I don't believe they have. He said, well, let me show you how. Stood right there and went that Catholic priest of the Lord. He said, do you you preach He said, yeah, every third Sunday. He said, when do you preach again? He said, this Sunday. He said, let me tell you what you ought to do. You, if you trusted the Lord as your Savior and you know that salvation is not in the wafer, and it's not in the confessional, and it's not in the holy unction, and it's not in church membership, and it's not in the Vatican, it's not in the Pope, and it's not in the priest, but it's in Jesus name only, you ought to get up there and tell the people that. He said, yes, I should. He said, will you do it? He said, I will. He said, now look, I can't be here Sunday, but I'm going to send somebody down here to see whether you did or not. And sure enough, he sent somebody down there, and that dude got up in the pulpit the next Sunday. He said, man, most unusual experience this week. I was speaking to a Mr. Hatch, and he asked me the question, do I know for sure if I died I'd go to heaven without any detours or layovers anywhere? And I told him I didn't, and he proceeded to tell me how I could know the Lord as my Savior. Let me share with you what he shared with me. And he gave the gospel in that place they kicked him out on his ear. They threw him out on the sidewalk. I mean, they, listen, he found himself, and he went down, uh, and I could call the name of the college, Baptist College, and enrolled, and is pastoring an independent Baptist church today. Now, I'm telling you, Carl Hatch, he wasn't afraid of the devil with horns on. I mean, he was everywhere he went, he was telling everybody, he'd go into Cracker Barrel. Folks, we're going to ask the blessing here. And uh, uh, just before we do, I'd like to share something with you, if I may, and everybody listening, you know. He'd be standing in a, li- a cafeteria line, and he'd just step out of line. Folks, we're glad to have um, uh, Pastor Wood with us today. Pastor Wood got saved, and he's going to tell you now how he got saved. Yeah, he wasn't afraid of nothing. He'd be on an elevator. Well, Pastor, they tell us you got saved. How did it happen? Yeah, everywhere he went. You say, well, man, what would people do? Well, what would you do if you were the manager of Cracker Barrel or a cafeteria and you looked out and some dude making a speech? You going to go out there and mess with him? No, you'd be afraid to, wouldn't you? Yeah, (coughs) yeah. I'm just simply saying, uh, uh, look, he did what all of us should do. If we really believed there was a hell, we'd be telling everybody everywhere. Dr. Hudson told about a preacher sitting in a solarium waiting for a flight and it's filling up. We, we were there yesterday, but it's just—it's that way all the time. And there's maybe 50 or more people sitting in a waiting area a few minutes before they started boarding. And this preacher got this impression. He just stood up. He said, folks, for those of you going to Atlanta today, you're going to need two tickets. People's eyes got big. Two tickets. And he said, "Uh, yeah, Uh, you're going to need the ticket that you already have there in your possession, but you're going to need another ticket in case the plane don't make it to Atlanta. He said, if this plane crashes, you're going to need another ticket to go to heaven, or you'll end up in hell. And he said, I've got one right here if you'd like one. And he said, people just stared at him, And they kept staring, and he said, finally, I just sat down. And he said, I thought to myself, I have made a total idiot out of myself. Well, he said it wasn't long until the airline agent came on and she said, "Uh, folks, um, we're going to be a slight delay today. We've discovered a mechanical difficulty with the airplane. And he said, you could just feel all these people thinking, uh uh-oh, supposing the plane don't make it to Atlanta. I might need one of those tickets. And he said, every single person, he said, I sat sitting there near the ca- every single person, as they got up to, to check in, said, could I get one of those tickets? Could I get one of those tickets? Could I get one of those tickets? Look, this morning, I don't know how many people I've talked to about the Lord this morning there at the motel. I mean, I've witnessed to people, and I only had one that was rude. And he said, I'm not interested. I don't want to talk about it. I said, all right. Well, sir, I did my best. He said, yeah, you did your best. I said, yeah, I did my best. And I went on talking to others. And I talked to people there in the breakfast area. And I talked to two ladies that were in the cleaning crew up there in the hallway. And one woman said, I need this. I need this bad." And I gave her the gospel. And when I came down to it, she about cried. But she said, uh, she had a hang-up of some kind. And I said, my wife and I are in room 330. And I said, if you if you, you, you just knock on the door anytime, we'll be there for two or three days. And you just, you just call, call on us. Everywhere I would, listen, I went in a, Hobby Lobby, my wife wants to stop at Hobby Lobby to get something. Do you all have Hobby Lobbies around here? Okay, my wife wanted to go to Hobby Lobby to get something. And, uh, uh, and so three ladies got out of a car as we were getting out in the parking lot and it was a woman and another friend of hers and a 14-year-old daughter of one of the ladies. And as they got out, I just said, Man, ladies, let me give you something to read. A little gossip, I carry them with me everywhere. I give away hundreds of them. I said, let me give you something to read. We gave them all a track. They said, thank you. And they went on. And I got to thinking: Is there a hell? Is there? Listen, this message has done something to me. My wife knows. I've always been a witness ever since I got, when she and I got married. But here lately, this message has got a hold to me. I mean, it really has. And uh, so they went on in, and I got to thinking: They're probably lost. Maybe they'll read the track. Maybe they won't. But somebody ought to do something to try to, how can I unless some man should guide me, you know and uh, so I looked them up there they were, I said look folks I gave y'all a little track while ago, I said I felt guilty, I didn't go further and explain it, let me let me tell you here what it means, and I opened the track and they listened attentively, I hadn't been talking no time and one of those ladies says I got cheetles running all over me right now and I stood right there and won all three of those including the 14 year old girl, won them all three to God Man, we went on down the road. And we made another stop at, um, um, at uh, Dollar General. Dollar General, a little discount store. And uh, as we got out, an elderly lady was walking in. I handed her a track. I said, man, let me give you something to read. She said, thank you. She walked on in. And then I got to thinking, is there a hell? Is there really a hell? Will that woman die and go to hell if she don't know the Lord? And if she does, will I look at her in hell screaming and falling and burning and I'll say, why didn't I say more? Why didn't I do more? Why didn't I just give her a tract? Why didn't I do something? So I looked her up and spoke to her inside. And you know what she said to me? She said, my father, was, he's in heaven now, but he was a Methodist preacher. She said, but I am not saved. I don't know the Lord as my Savior. And I stood right there and won that lady to the Lord. There was three saved just in two stops along the road. And I uh, I'm still not near the witness I should be, and I know it. But I do know this. I want to do what I can. I want to be the kind of soul winner I can. I want to do what I can to try to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want to do. Uh, What kind of a witness should you be? Uh, I was preaching for my, for my wife's son. She has three angel children. And I was preaching for Travis in uh, Angola, New York, uh, a little town out in upstate New York. And, uh, and so I'm staying at his house. And so I would preached on Sunday morning, and I wanted to get a nap uh, in the afternoon. And uh, I'm about done, folks. So just hang with me a little bit here. And uh, I wanted to get a nap, and so I went up. I was tired. But as we pulled up on the parking lot, there was a group of teenage boys shooting basketball on the church parking lot. I said, they go to your church? He said, no, they're just boys in the neighborhood. But I let them play basketball here because it don't hurt anything. And, and it's, I just want them to know that we're a friendly bunch down here. And uh, I said, well, good. So I went on up and I laid down. I was tired. And then I got to thinking, those boys are probably lost, at least some of them. I got up put my trousers back on, put my shoes on, walked out there, they were shooting basketball, I said, boys, I don't want to stop your game, but let me give you something to read, and I passed them all the track. I said, let me, let, me, let me tell you what this track means, and I told them how to be saved. They stood there at abrupt attention. They gave me the utmost respect, and I said, boys, I'm going to let y'all play basketball, But I just wanted to tell you how to be saved. And I'll tell you this. You can pray right now in your heart. You can ask Jesus to come into your heart and save you. Five of the eight got saved standing right there. Five out of the eight. Does it make any difference to you? Does it make any difference to you? If a soul dies in sin, God has told you to win. Does it make any difference to you? Will his blood be required at your hand? Do you win the lost while you can? Do you make plain the way? Do you work while it's day? Is the Lord working daily through you? What kind of a wit? If there is a hell, if there is a hell... If what you saw on the screen is nothing compared to hell, what kind of a witness should you be? And then I close with this. If there is a hell, what kind of a sinner should you be? Matthew 23, 33, how shall we escape? How shall you escape the damnation of hell? Think about that. Jesus said, how shall you escape the damnation of hell? Hebrews 10, 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Folks, if you're here without Jesus Christ, what kind of a sinner should you be? Unconcerned? In light of something that'd make that look like a picnic? Unconcerned? What kind of a sinner should you be? In 1 Samuel 20, verse number 3, David said, There is a step between me and death. A step. You're one step from a burning hell if you don't know the Lord. Revelation 20 tells us about a great white throne. And they that stood before the Lamb of God in the great white throne. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We're talking about a hell. I close with this illustration. I didn't realize that, but I preached quite a while. But uh, this is every bit as good as what you're going to see when you go home and watch that stupid television. Did you know that? Every bit as good. But let me give you this illustration, and we'll, we'll, we'll quit and go to the house. Um, I had a preacher friend. And before he became a pastor, he was a truck driver. I mean a big over the road eighteen wheeler. And he said he was saved. He was a Christian, but he was a truck driver. He said, I had this certain truck stop I'd stop at when I was on this route. And he said there was a bunch of infidels in there that cussing and carrying on about every time I went in, and they knew I was a Christian. And he said when I got in, I ordered and got my food, and he said, I bowed my head to pray. Well it kind of embarrassed them, so they started cussing and carrying on just because I was there. And he said they was talking dirty and like a bunch of heathen will, you know. And he said, I finished my food. He said, I went out and he said, I'd been there quite a while and said some of them were getting up at the same time as a bunch of them. (coughs) And he said, um, I got in the truck and pulled out on the road. It was a 55 mile an hour two lane highway in the country. And he said, I started down the road. And he said, I'd gone about a mile. and said, there was two or three other semis in front of me and behind me. There several of us pulled out about the same time. Some had joined us on the open highway. And he said, I looked in my rearview mirror, and there was a truck passing three or four trucks, including mine. And he said he was coming at a high rate of speed. And he had his flashers mark, uh, markers flashing on and off. And he said, I, when I saw him, I thought, the idiot? This is a two-lane highway. He don't have room to pass here. A car came around that curve down yonder. There's no way. He'd have nowhere to go. He'd have to take the ditch or hit him. And he said he shot past me, and when he did, it was that old lead infidel, the one that was laughing and cussing and carrying on, and said when he passed me, he had one hand up in the air and his leg thrown up on his seat, and he was laughing and doing that like a total idiot. He said but here's the problem. When he pulled that rig back in line, he made it. He passed the trucks, but said when he pulled that rig back in line, he had run in on that curve too fast. Mm-hmm. And he said the centrifugal force took that truck over. Well, there was, they'd done some logging and in there and there were stumps two and a half feet high. And they said, he said, we all, several trucks saw it, said that thing run off the road, hit the ditch, wobbled and hit those stumps and was bouncing up in the air. And went down a deep ravine and the cab hit right there and the thing stood straight up like standing a pencil right up on end. And then the, the the bed went over on the cab. And said, Well, you had to kill him instantly said we jumped out of our trucks, we got the rigs off the road as best we could, jumped out of our trucks, ran down to him, and said when we got down to where he was, shock of shock, he wasn't dead, he was conscious, but he was in excruciating pain, his left arm and his leg was was crushed between the steel of that cab and the seat, and he couldn't get loose, and it was about to kill him, and he said he was screaming and carrying on, get me out of here, and uh, said we tried to get him out, the whole cab was craned where it mashed it, and he said, while we were working, all of a sudden, somebody said, something made my blood run cold. Somebody said, I smell smoke. And all of a sudden, boof! that cab blew into flames and he said I saw me that man started screaming kill me, kill me, take a tire tool and kill me, he said I saw men take tire tools and beat the glass out of that thing, I saw men jerk at that door, old oh, that's heavy steel, you know the thing about these big rigs they don't, they don't put plastic in there that's heavy steel and they jerked at that door until they singed their hair and burnt their fingers trying to get that man out but the fire was getting hotter and hotter and it said finally it got so hot we could not we had to stand back and said we stood there and watched that man he with that one arm in the air screaming to the top of his voice and that hand like a wild worm jerking in the air and said all of a sudden it stopped and said we watched that fire roar around that body until finally that arm cooked until it just finally fell open in the fire. And he said, a man, we were standing in horror watching it. And he said, one of the truckers standing beside him he said, Well, there's one thing about it. It's over for him now. And he said, I said, No, 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 it's not over for him now. It has just begun. It's just begun. And a trillion years from tonight, he'll still be in hell screaming, screaming falling, and burning. What kind of a sinner should you be? Wouldn't just say, eh, ain't nothing to me, and get up and walk out? You think so? You think so? You really think so? Let's bow our heads in prayer. If there's a hell, if there's a hell, what kind of a lost person should you be? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask this question. Let's talk to Christians first. How many Christians are in this room? You're going to heaven. You're not going to hell, and you got Bible to show me why. You're going to heaven. But, on the other hand, God spoke to your heart this morning about this awful place called hell. And if there is a hell, if there is a hell, you were asked the question, what kind of a witness should I be? What kind of a church should I belong to? What kind of a Christian should I be? And God convicted me this morning. And you said, I'm not doing all I can to try to get people saved. And Pastor Brown, would you pray for me? God, hands are going up everywhere. Raise your hand. Hold them up. Hold them up. Hold them up. Hold them up. I see those hands. God bless you. I see those hands. You can take them down. Now, let me ask this question How many are here? Maybe you've just raised your hand, but you need to raise it again and say, I know I'm saved. That, I, I, don't, I, I don't have to worry about that. I know I'm saved. Hold your hands up. Members, visitors, everybody is saved. knows you're saved. Hold your hands up. All right? You can take your hands down. How many are here? And you'd at least be sincere enough to say, Pastor Brown, I do not know for sure I'm going to heaven when I die. But while people have their heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to raise my hand and say, I have enough concern to have you pray for me. Will you raise your hand right now? No, I, there's two, there's two ladies. Somebody else, you can take your hands down. Thank you for your honesty, ladies. Somebody else, slip up that hand right now. When I see it, you can take it down. When I see it, you can take it down. Now, here's what I want you to do. Here are two adult ladies that need to be saved, and they know it. And, you know, you can get saved so quick. You say, well, I, I don't know if I can join this church. We're not talking about joining the church. We're talking about getting saved. You may never come here again as long as you live, but while you're here, you ought to get saved. And I believe in church membership, and I believe in getting baptized, and I don't think you can grow in grace until you do, but that's not getting saved. Getting saved is just coming and receiving Christ as your Savior. And when we stand in just a moment, I want these two ladies to we'll keep the people's heads bowed so we we'll make it easier. When I want these two ladies to slip out. I'll meet you right here. We'll have somebody take the Bible and show you how to be saved. And you need to do that, you need to get that settled. I wouldn't wait, I wouldn't hesitate. You could be dead five minutes after you walk out of that door, and, and that's the honest truth. Yeah, and uh, if your friend will come with you, if your friend will come with you come, and if they won't come, you come yourself, okay? You just come yourself. If she won't come, you come yourself. And now, would you pray, Christians, that these two ladies will get saved this morning? I can't save them. If I could, I'd go back there and shake them until they got saved, but that wouldn't work. That won't work. Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. And they only hold the key to their eternal destiny right now. And so, would you pray? And there's others here that need to be baptized. You ought to come. And there's others here that come to this church, but you're not a member here. You ought to come and join. But whether you are or not, you ought to get saved. And you ought to do it now. Holy Ghost of God, work in this invitation. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. I pray that you'll bless us. In just a moment, I'm going to have you stand. And when you sta- when you start standing, uh, can we have somebody to be ready to play an instrument here? Just anybody. It's all right. Um, yeah, there you go. And you have something ready. And wait till I give you the signal, ma'am. When I give you the signal, you can start to play. Now listen. Listen to me. Um, when we start standing, I want every Christian in this room, every Christian in this room, that raised your hand and said God spoke to my heart, I'm going to heaven, but I need to, I need to do more about people that are going to hell. I want you to slip out and come. I want you to slip out and come. Everybody raised their hand. I never preach a sermon, but what I don't feel they had to go to the altar myself. Really, I say honest truth. And uh, then I'd like to ask these two ladies to come and be. While the others are coming, you come and be saved and let's, let's, don't, let's don't wait let's don't hesitate will you do it Heavenly Father work in the invitation now in Jesus name keep your heads bowed and eyes closed begin to play the instrument everybody stand right now everybody stand that's right you hear the music will you come come on slip out from where you are why don't you do it why don't you do it right now that's right you don't want to wait you don't want to hesitate yeah why don't you do it just slip out others are coming why don't you come why don't you come why don't you do it if she won't come you come Continue to play. You don't want to get saved. People need the Lord. And could she have picked a better song to play for the invitation? Every day they pass me by. Yes, ma'am. Amen, amen. And people lead the Lord. Amen. Thank God for this altar full this morning. People talking to the Lord that are Christians and saying, I want to be a better Christian. I want to let my light shine. I want to tell others about Christ. best, we'll fall short. At our best, we won't witness enough. At our best, there'll be people without God going to hell. But I want to do what I can. I, I, I want to I increase. I want to be better about it. I want to reach more. And that message keeps coming back to me. Is there a hell? Well, I don't have any question about it. I know what the Bible teaches. But if there's a hell, what kind of a Christian should I be? And what kind of a Christian should you be?
0: God's doing something great in this church. I am thankful that I am part of this church, amen? Uh, We had a preacher come Wednesday. He said these words. He said he felt the presence of God as soon as he pulled up in the front of this building. And that's what we're gonna talk about on Sunday. We don't need bake sales and flea markets here. We need Christ and more of him. He must increase. He must increase. He must increase. You having problems in your life? He must increase. The land is sick. He must increase. We don't need programs. Christ, he must increase. And we must lift Christ up. We go out now, proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a hell, but there's a Savior. We must share the hope. The hope of this land is nothing other than our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hope. Share that hope with others. Don't hide it. Brother Brown, I know you are supposed to be here for three days. uh, And uh, that was my mistake. That's why the church was stuck with me last week for the revival, but the Lord did a great work, amen, last week, thank God for that, and God had designed this and gave Brother Brown a special message for our church today, that's how the Lord works. Some people say, "Uh, how did you know, did did, did somebody tell you what I was talking uh, about, my friend about, say, no, I I didn't know that, anything, nobody talked to me, God gives me messages though, God gives uh, the preachers messages, that's how God works, he speaks through the preaching, amen. Supernatural work, yeah. Can I say a word
1: about this? Yeah, sure. One of the times that I was here, maybe the first time, I brought a message called Submission Causes Submission, the greatest message on marriage and the home that I have. And uh, everybody kept pushing me. Why don't you write a book? Write a book. Put it in a book. Well, I finally did. And had it gra- beautifully, graphically designed. It's a small book. And uh, so everything that I have in that sermon, I've got in this book. Well, I ordered a couple of hundred of them. I'm thinking, well, that'll last me a while. We sold over half of them the first day. And then I had to reorder them. We had people waiting everywhere, and I ordered a 500. And now one one fellow ordered 150 the other day. Submission causes submission will change your life. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your home. And if you heard the message, you know what's in it. And so here it is, if you want it. I'm not pushing books. Um, and uh, it's $5.95 if you want it. And uh, my wife will be in the back. And if you'd like one, that's fi- um, 5 dollars And if you don't like the price, it's $6. Okay, so if- Thank you. Thank you.
0: Amen. Uh, also, we do have our fellowship on Saturday. Uh, the pretty much the picnic, the grilling, smoking, cook-off fellowship outside. That is 3 p.m. It starts. If you have signed up, we didn't have a, a, enough details, but um, you will get graded for uh, different things. Everybody has an opportunity. Uh, men, we're doing the meats. Amen. Uh, you have to have it here by three. If it's late, points get deducted. Time is, anyone who grills or smokes meats, time is key. Time is key. Everybody knows that. So 3 p.m. sharp, it must be here. Women, you're doing the sides. Uh, Whatever side you sign up for, if you would still like to participate, sign up in the back. Everybody else that's not uh, cooking uh, meats or doing the sides, you get to eat. We all get to eat, amen, and have a great church fellowship. I've invited some of the neighbors give opportunities for us to be a witness. I've already been witnessing to many of the neighbors, and, hey, why don't you come out for Saturday? And uh, so let's have a great time this Saturday. Please uh, uh, participate. And we do have judges uh, that are, have signed up as well, and thank God for that. Uh, Brother Brown, thank you for being with us on this beautiful Sunday. <laughs> Mrs. Brown, amen. We love, you, we love you guys very much, and thank you for being here and uh, looking forward to it. Brother Brown, going be uh, he's going to be preaching uh, somewhere else on Tuesday at another church. We'll be taking him to, and also a Christian school as well. So he just found out about that right now, as I told him. So. <laughs> Amen. All right. God bless everybody. I'll be praying for you throughout the week. Uh, thank God for you, and pray for me. Also, as uh, many changes are going to be taking place in my life, um, as we hit August, which I plan on going full-time as pastor uh, in August. So new territory for me, uh, many fears, but hopefully much more faith. Thank God for that. Amen. Let's, uh, let me close in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we uh, plead the blood of Christ, Father, over us, Lord, as we step out of this safe place. This is a safe place from the world. May the world never come through these doors, Oh God. Lord, as we step out of this safe place and into the world, back into the world, Lord, may our lights so shine. Lord, we don't have to try to make them glow. We just got to try not to hide it. It shines naturally. The Spirit of God is in us, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would have grace, much grace, Lord, upon us. Send that abundant grace as the sin abounds. Lord, uh, have mercy on us as we are not all uh, that we think we are all to be, Lord. Uh, we're not always there. We, we don't live up to even the standards that we set for ourselves, Father. We always fall short, especially of the glory of God and, Lord, even of uh, the, our own standards that we set, Lord. But I pray, Lord, you have abundant mercy on us. Lord, let us be lights. Let the track racks always be empty, uh, only to be filled again. And Lord, may our mouths always be preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we not shy away uh, from mentioning the name of Jesus, for at that name, Lord, the hell's foundations quake. Lord, the earth shakes, and Lord, every knee bows in heaven, earth, things under the earth, Lord. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I pray, Lord, that as our uh, your light bearers, Lord, will go out forth from these doors now, Let it not return void unto yourself. Do whatsoever you please with it. May we see many souls come to Christ on lives restored, families brought back together, our land healed. And it is the church's job, Lord, to do this. In the name of Jesus Christ we ask, amen. 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 God bless you. I will see you Wednesday, midweek service at 7 p.m. And remember, Saturday at 3 p.m. this Saturday, Wednesday at 7, this Saturday at 3. Other announcements are on the website.